Well, thanks for being with us this morning. Um, I think the uh, nautical wind count is going to be like 60, which is great. Um, I made that up. I don't even know if it's going to be 60. Um, I just know that whatever Christmas decorations you put up this weekend, <laughs> if you're like me, they're not going to be there when we get home. Uh, so it's going to be good stuff. Hey, a couple housekeeping things. Um, just as we head into the holiday season, we realize that um, for many of us, uh, we're going to be kind of off and on, um, not just with uh, COVID and tracing and all the things that are going on, uh, but also just with normal cold and flu seasons and things. And so uh, just so you know, um, we, we want you to do whatever is safest for you and your family. Um, we will continue to meet and uh, continue to um, update even some things as far as how we live stream and stuff like that. So as you can see, there's some Cameras in the room for those who are joining us online, we're excited you're with us. And um, we just want to give it an opportunity to say, no matter how you connect, uh, we really would just encourage you to connect with us uh, over the next couple weeks together. Um, And hopefully, you'll be able to just to connect with your families, um, maybe in ways that you haven't. Uh, We all know that it's been a long season. We're in, what, 200 plus days right now, flattening the curve. So that's been, that's gone well. Uh, But... We're, we're all in the middle of this, and we know, and so we just hope that as you guys head towards the holiday season, uh, especially with Christmas right around the, the corner, uh, you're really able to just have time together as a family, and um, we want to do what we can as a church to continue to push that and promote that. Um, so just so you're aware of that. This morning, um, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. We're going to do a little two-week series here before we get into um, Christmas, which starts, uh, Advent for us will begin the last Sunday of November, and uh, we'd love for you to join us here for that as we open up the book of Philippians for Advent. Um, the idea and theme is going to be choosing joy, um, and then that we're gonna la- that's going to last through Advent and possibly right into the beginning of January um, as we think of where we're going to be heading. Um, before we jump into 2 Corinthians chapter 8, let me, let me pray for us and um, give you a chance to kind of settle in um, to the text, uh, whether you're here or whether you're online trying to uh, get there. Let me just kind of pray for us, and then that'll give us a chance to kind of settle into 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 together. Let me pray out of Psalm 123 this morning as we look to open God's word together. Father, you've mentioned numerous times that you have not left us. In scriptures, you repeat it again and again, that you are faithful, that your love is steadfast. And so, Father, we pray that um, you would remind us that you are immovable uh, during these times. We pray as David did, um, as they went to worship, as they ascended the hill to Jerusalem, out of Psalm 123, to you I lift up my eyes. O you who are enthroned in the heavens, behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master or the eyes of the maidservant to the hands of her mistress, so our eyes look to you, O Lord, till he has mercy upon us. Father, may our eyes look to you during this time. Father, we've sung a lot of um, words that remind us of your power and your majesty and that it is wrapped up in the name of Jesus. I pray this morning that as the songs were sung, um, so would the scriptures be read and applied to our lives. Father, as we open your word, would, your, would you allow our eyes to go to you? 
Verse 3, have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us, for we have more than enough of contempt. And Father, many of us may be there. This morning as we open your word, there may have been a, a week that is rough, that is just desirous of your mercy, that it just feels like we're just beat down and we need your mercy. Um, for others who have had a week full of mercy, may we be ones to give it out to those around us. And lastly, Father, our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. And so we ask again this morning, would you have mercy on us as we open up your word? Would you remind us of how good you've been to us through your mercy and through your grace? And would we learn from you today as we open up your text? In the name we pray. Amen. So let me read this real quote. It's a quote. And let me see if this rings true for you. Okay? Ready? Okay, good. Those, I don't know if I was expecting a response there or not, but apparently I was because I waited a really long time. Let me see if this makes sense to you. See if this rings true. Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. So what good is wealth? Except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers. Uh, people who work hard sleep well, whether they eat little or much, but the rich seldom get a good night's sleep. How's your sleep? There's another serious problem I have under the sun. Hoarding riches harms the saver. Money is put into risky investments that turn sour and everything is lost. In the end, there is nothing left to pass on to one's children. We all come to the end of our lives as naked and empty-handed as the day we were born. We can't take our riches with us. And this, too, is a serious problem. People leave this world no better off than when they came. All their hard work is for nothing, like nothing for the, like working for the wind. Throughout their lives, they live under a cloud, frustrated, discouraged, and angry. That's an interesting text. It's an interesting way to start off in money, but it's, it's funny that those words were written thousands of years ago in the book of Ecclesiastes by the wisest man ever to live, King Solomon. And how amazing that the king who had all that he could handle as far as finances and wealth and money says those who love money will never have enough. They watch it slip through their fingers. And so it is with those who are rich. They seldom get a good night's sleep because they're always worried about the next thing and holding on to their bank account. As we look at the next two weeks on generosity, we are going to be looking at money and uh, we're going to be looking at how we are to be generous with our giving. Um, And this isn't going to be a um, specifically you need to give more to the church talk. That's not what this is. This is a conversation about how our money can often take control of us and how we desire to be generous, but oftentimes we get stuck in the day-to-day living, and not enough to make the bills. And I want to give us two weeks to just think about what would it mean if we were truly generous with our finances? And how could we give in ways that would um, please God first and foremost, but secondly, would do amazing things in and through those who we are able to share our finances with? 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we're going to look at uh, verse 15 first, which is the very end of where we're going to be covering in our text today. But I want to start kind of in reverse with this verse because it's important. It kind of goes along with Ecclesiastes. He says this, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. This quote was given, uh, this is a quote that was used by Paul 
uh, to reference the time in Exodus chapter 16, verses 13 to 23, where God had given to the Israelites a command to only gather as much food as they needed for the next day. And if they were to gather more food than what they needed, they, they would wake up the next morning, and you may know the story, but the bread that they had gathered and they had hoarded in their tents, they woke up the next morning and all the food that they tried to hoard and, and save in their freezers was covered in maggots. And all of a sudden they realized, well, this isn't working. And so they would try it again the next day and the next day and the next day. And every single morning they'd wake up and there were maggots in all of their bread and food. And so it was kind of like, I think it's expired. I think we've, we've kind of hit the due date. And what would happen is God would try to teach the Israelites again and again, I have enough for you for today. You need to trust me for today. And so Paul is talking about this idea of generosity and he ends, and I want to begin with whoever gathered had much had nothing left and whoever gathered little had no lack. Because as we think of this church in Corinth, this was a church of excess. This was a church that kind of did things to the extreme. As you remember, if we've looked at 1 Corinthians and Messy Church, this was that kind of church. And so in 2 Corinthians, Paul is appealing to the church in Corinth to be generous he says, I-, I want you to be able to give because if you give, you will, have not, you will have little to lack if you truly give the way God's called you to give. Something they, and this is something that the church in Corinth had promised to do to Paul or for Paul a year in advance. So a year ago in this church in Corinth, after, before Paul writes this letter, Paul is following up to a letter and reminds them of the, this very important thing that they were promising to give funds to the poor. And so what was happening in context was Paul, a year earlier, had come to the Corinthian church and he said, hey, I'm raising some funds to go out to Jerusalem. And all the money that I raise is going to go to help the poor in the city of Jerusalem because the need is so great in Jerusalem. And what he did was he actually began a 10-year campaign to give towards the finances of those in Jerusalem. And so if you know anything um, of, the, of the history of, of that is that this area of Jerusalem was very poor in general. So there's a graph here I want to show you. This is kind of the, um, the lay of the land when it came to those in Jewish society underneath the empire of Rome at the time of Paul's writing. So a normal household would be in the 73% at at or below substance. That means they weren't just living paycheck to paycheck. They were living uh, basically paycheck to next paycheck a month from now. And so they had very, very little. And if you were surviving in that realm, and if you could make it to the next paycheck, you were in the 73%. You were the majority in Rome, okay? Those who were relatively poor at 15% were kind of the upper echelon. Think of our middle class. Uh, It was kind of that upper next level, but they were still very, very poor. And then there was this huge gap where there was the modestly successful and then the elite uh, aristocracy. But if you were to look at this, you would see why the need in Jerusalem was so big. It was because most 73% of people living in Rome lived at at or below substance level. And Paul is trying to raise awareness of the need that is in Jerusalem. And he's coming to the church at Corinth and saying, hey, I want to ask you to really think about how you can give towards this need. The expression dirt poor would, would, would very well fit within this scenario. And he's going to try and remind the church in Corinth, he's going to try and remind us today that generosity is truly a gift of grace. It is to be celebrated and and to point others to the grace shown to us by Jesus. And ultimately, he's going to say that this grace, he's going to talk about it a lot, is this idea of money or monetary 
kind of value. So this morning, again, we're going to start this two-week mini-series on generosity. So this week, we're going to look at generosity as grace. And then at next week, we're going to look at generosity that multiplies in the hands of Jesus. So this week, I'm just going to ask you to dream about what it would look like to be generous. And then next week, we're going to look at some of the things that kind of keep us from being generous. Because I think at the heart of it, we all want to be generous. We all have the desire to be. But ultimately, we get to the end of the week and we're like, gosh, where did it all go? And we're going to talk about that next week. But for this week, I want to just kind of focus on this idea of generosity and grace and how the two go hand in hand. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8, join me if you would in verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that, was in, that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction... Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed into a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. That's that 10-year campaign. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that he has, had started so he should complete among you this act of grace. I want to kind of take this verse by verse with us this morning and kind of dissect what Paul's doing here. So in verses 1 through 4, he kind of gives the church a gut punch of Corinth. Because Corinth, again, think this church is a very wealthy church. This church had a lot of money. And this church was one that had excess of everything, including their finances. And he starts off and he says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. That's a really cool statement. I want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God for the church of Macedonia. I want, to know how, I want you to know how God has supplied all of the financial needs for this poor church in Macedonia. I want you to know how the grace of God was on display to this church. And then he says in verse 2, this, this grace was extremely visible because in verse 2, there was a severe test of affliction. And their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty had overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So, so think of this, there's a very, 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 very poor church in Macedonia, and they were afflicted in many, many ways. We don't really know what that looks like. It could have been that they were uh, abused by the authorities. It could have been that they were um, criticized for their faith. There could have been a lot that we don't know. This church was under a whole lot of affliction and a whole lot of judgment around the people around them. But here's the interesting thing I love about verse 2, is Paul says, even though this church was greatly afflicted, which apparently Corinth had not been, it led to two things. It led to abundance of joy, which we all were kind of like, okay, we knew that was coming. But here's the other thing he says. This, is, this severe affliction led to extreme poverty. <laughs> Isn't it funny how we think like in the Bible, we think like it should all end with a happy ending, shouldn't it? Like we should just end with they were really happy. Like they were really poor, but they were really happy and they made it through. Paul says they were joyful, but they were joyful in the midst of extreme poverty. <laughs> that affliction came upon that church and they became extremely poor. Extremely poor. We don't know what that means, but it had to be rough. My guess is they weren't live streaming every week. My guess is their building was in, in, in disrepair. My guess is they probably lost whatever houses and buildings they had because of the poverty that was around them. But I love this in verse 3. Or I'm sorry, verse 2. But out of this, they overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. 
That's so cool. Yet they overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Grace is this. God finds us in extreme spiritual poverty and gives us abundance joy. Here, though it is not just spiritual, in this passage it's monetary, it is displayed as overflowing. And just as grace is overflowing in our lives, he says this finance has overflowed out of this poor church. And I love this in verse 4. Begging us earnestly for the favor, that word favor just as a side rabbit trail Easter egg, that word favor is actually the word grace. So just kind of make that a point. That's awesome. Begging us earnestly for the favor or the grace, the charis in Greek, begging us earnestly for the favor of giving towards this end. Can you imagine that? This church who was in abundance of joy, extreme poverty, had nothing to offer, came to Paul and said, Paul, you got to let us give. You got to let us help you give to the poor. To which Paul probably looked at this church and goes, you realize you're poor. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like it had to be like an eye-opening moment for him. He's like, you realize you can't pay the bills, right? Yes, we realize we can't pay the bills, but we're going to give what we have. And it was probably very, very little what they gave. But they gave out of an abundance of joy because they said, you know what, if God's going to work, we want to be part of what God does. And, we, and we're going to be poor, but we want to give. I had a, um, a neighbor where we used to live when we were just starting the church. And she, I knew she didn't have much money because I knew them in particular. And it was one of those conversations that we said, we're going to go and plant this church and nobody else was really with us at this point. It was maybe, you know, two or two or uh, maybe four or six of us at this point that kind of talked about the idea. And I said, hey, we're moving. She asked why I was moving. I said, why? And she goes, whenever you start, I'm going to give you money to start. And I said, you don't even know like anything like where we're going. You don't know the pro. You don't know any of that stuff. And there had been some circumstances in her life where I knew finances were very, very tight for her, and yet she specifically said, I'm going to give. I'm going to give. I'm going to support what you're doing. And wouldn't you know it, one of the first checks we receive, before we were even in a building, before we do anything, the first checks we receive on an ongoing basis, this wasn't like a one-time gift, this was like an ongoing basis, was from this lady. Year after year after year, we see that check come in every single, every single month. I'm like, what? Giving out of nothing to start and be a part of what God's doing. And there was a point in the conversation where I'm like, you don't have to do that. Like, you're fine. You've got enough on your plate. And it almost became what we saw here of a begging to say, no, 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 I need to do this. Let me do this. I want to help you do this. The check's going to be there, so you just decide what you're going to do with it. The money's coming. (laughs) I'm like, wow. The generosity that flowed from her heart, even in the midst of all that she was dealing with, was still, to this day, it just blows my mind, um, that she still is so desiring to be a part of this. And the question that comes into this, this thing that he's trying to get the Corinthians to answer is, what if we gave our finances first to God, then by his will, letting him direct our money? Because that's what we see here uh, in the next in the next verse here in verse five, verse five, and this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Notice the order. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. I don't think they would have given except for the will of God. I don't know that they would have given out of their extreme poverty unless God would have moved in their hearts to do so. 
And so they follow God and they say, first off and foremost, we love Jesus. We've seen what he's done in our church. Even in the midst of severe affliction, we are joyful. And because we love Jesus, he's asked us to give. We are going to give. And they do it out of grace. And they give exceedingly abundantly out of joy towards this mission that Paul is involved in. Verse 6 and 7. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you the act of grace. Act of grace here again, thinking this is the monetary donation given towards the thing in Jerusalem. This is specific. This act of grace was giving towards this church. But as you excel in everything, let's just pause for a second. <laughs> I love Paul. I know you're kind of like, keep going. No, this is really good. This is really good. I don't know if Paul's being sarcastic here or if Paul's really just trying to like do the coach thing. Because here's, here's what he's saying. He says, but as you excel in everything, O church of Corinth... What do you know about the church of Corinth? They loved a whole lot of what? Me, right? They loved a whole lot of themselves. They loved a whole lot of being able to put things out there and being like, we are the best of the best. We do communion the best. We pray the best. We give the best. We have the best preachers, pastors, minus Paul, who's a jerk and we don't like him. But we have the best of everything that is the best. And we excel at everything. And no other church can match us. To the point that we get drunk on communion wine and eat bread for communion for lunch. That's what we do. That's we're the best. <laughs> this messed up church that thought they excelled at everything. I love that Paul in the second letter says, as you excel in everything you do, as you're the best at the best at everything, could I just remind you of a small church in Macedonia just for a second, O Corinth? <laughs> I think he did it on purpose. I think he's a jerk (laughs) to to the people at Corinth. And I think he does so on purpose. He's like, they're competitive. They've got that edge. Community Bible Church, you're competitive. You've got that edge. Somebody tells you you're not going to do something. What do you do? You do it just to say that you could do it. It could be the stupidest thing in the world that I challenge you to do. And you're kind of like, I'll do it just to say that I proved Joel wrong. That's awesome. This was a church in Corinth. They were competitive. And Paul says, hey, as you excel in everything, can I remind you of a small church in Macedonia who was completely poor, had nothing left in their bank account, and yet gave exceedingly more and probably even more than you're planning to give, oh, Corinth? (laughs) As you excel in everything... In faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, in our, and in our love for you. See that you excel in this act of grace also. <laughs> you think you're the best at everything. Could you just then excel at this giving thing? Because you have far more than this church in Macedonia. Titus here had to be like, Paul, quit, man. I'm really trying to help you out. Because Titus was the guy that was mentioned here that was meant to bring the funds um, from the church in Corinth to the church in Jerusalem. Titus reminds me of um, my former pastor in a good way because my, my former pastor in a good way was the guy that I say again and again and again had to be the guy to kind of bridge the gap because we were part of a revitalization church before we, we planted here. And a revitalization church was basically trying to form a church out of two different congregations. One congregation votes to die and another congregation comes with a new constitution. And there was a, there was a lot of anger in that first two years that this poor pastor had to navigate on a regular basis. I couldn't imagine the things and the conversations and the words that they said to him in the midst of that two years. Because after two years, I was just doing youth ministry at that point. I wanted to quit. 
I can't imagine as a senior pastor trying to bridge those two. And that's what Titus is doing here. Titus is trying to bridge that gap between, they don't really like Paul, but I'm trying to get them to give towards a campaign that Paul's doing. Titus also was the guy that gave the letter of rebuke in Corinth to Corinth. He's the guy that delivered the bad news. Don't shoot the messenger. That was Titus, okay? And so Titus also organized the giving campaign in Corinth. And he says, as Titus started, don't quit. Don't take this out on Titus. Just keep being giving. Excel in everything. Paul could be playing on the excess and the competitive nature of the Corinthian church, and he's asking them to give. Paul then comes back to giving, and he talks about this idea of this grace gift or this act of grace that they were to give. This could be what the Bible calls an offering, which is different than a tithe. And so let me just kind of do a quick rabbit trail here. And you probably already know this, but for those who don't know this, let me just explain real quick what tithing is and then what offerings are so that you can kind of see the difference between them in the Old and New Testament. So a tithe, as you may know, is giving 10% of your income. This came out of the Old Testament. This was given before the law. Okay, so 10% came before the Ten Commandments. A lot of us think what just came out of Israel and the Ten Commandment laws. No, actually 10% came before Moses was even born. Okay, so 10% came out of the amount that was given by Abram when he gave 10% to the Lord in gratitude and worship in Genesis chapter 14. That was the first tithe you see in your Bibles. 10% of all he had went to the Lord out of worship in Genesis 14. And then his grandson Jacob also gave 10% in worship in Genesis 28. It was not commanded to the Israelite people until the second year of Exodus under Moses for the temple building. And this time was not a suggestion, but a given because Israelites would have been um, told to give and it was expected that they give. And this was a 10% given by the people that went specifically towards the temple and even towards the priest we're going to see here in a second. So, So that's kind of where we get tithing in the Old Testament. Now, let me just explain a little bit more, though, because a lot of us assume, well, that's Old Testament. I don't have to, don't have to give 10% because that's Old Testament. Well, kind of. Let me just kind of give you a little bit more information, though. Because to be completely biblical, Israel was commanded to give more than 10%, actually. Because they were commanded to give 10% on a regular basis. That was just a given. But then they were also obligated to give a special amount of money for the Jubilee Festival that happened in Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 12. And they were told to give towards that. So 10% Jubilee. And then lastly, they were also told to take a special offering for widows and poor every three years in Deuteronomy chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 14. And if you add all of those ties up in the Old Testament, it would be about the equivalent of about 23% of all that they had went to tithing. So you can kind of get wrapped up in numbers and say, you know, I don't have to give 10% because the Bible's not clear about 10%. Well, you're right. The Bible's also not very clear, though, that it just talks about this idea of 23% of their income went to the church. And the, and the issue here isn't how much, like, the percentage breakdown. The issue is their hearts and their desire to worship came out of their funds. Because the 10%, that was obligated, but the rest was this worship that they were able to give at the Jubilee Festival and also to this three-year offering that took place every three years. You can add to that the non-compulsory opportunities to give an adoration or appreciation for what God has done, but bare minimum in the Old Testament would have been 23%. Just to put that in perspective, there was an article by Jason D. Bradley in 2019. He says, on average, Christians give around 2.5% of their income to churches. So that, he was a little more blunt. So he says, so in that sense, 
No, most Christians do not tithe <laughs> because he's going to the 10% thing. But a tithe then in the Old Testament, that, that's the 23, the 10, whatever you want to do. But a tithe in the New Testament, there is nothing in the New Testament that says we have to give 23 or that says we have to give 10. All we're told in the New Testament is we must give sacrificially. And that's almost harder because sacrificially for you may be different than 10%. It may be different than 23%. It may be 2.3%. I don't know. But sacrificially for you, is what we are called to do in Romans chapter 12, verse 13. And so while tithes and offerings are not technically, are technically tithes and offerings are two different practices in generosity, they're often spoke about in hand in hand. So let's be clear. While we're not commanded in the New Testament to give 10%, we are given a much harder command, and that is to give sacrificially. And while we look at passages and say, I don't want to give 10% because we're not under law, we're under grace— May I just remind you that Paul in this specific passage is saying as an act of grace, there was giving monetarily out of an act of grace. So while we look at these passages and say, I don't want to give 10% because we're under law, let me just also say we cannot, nor can we say that we do not have to have a plan for giving or that we don't have to give because the Bible is very clear, Old Testament to New, we are called to give and we must have a plan for giving. And the offering was what Paul's talking about here in 1 Corinthians 16 is a campaign to give because they were called to give and they had a plan to give. And this was all part of what Paul's asking them to do here in this passage. Make sense? I know it's a little caveat on tithing, but it's important to kind of understand where we are biblically um, rather than just kind of what we want to hear. So verses 8 and 9, let me continue on and then um, we're almost through. 8 and 9, I say this not as a command... But to, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Here's the interesting thing. I say this not as a command, but to prove to the earnestness of others. He says, I'm not commanding you to give towards this fund in Jerusalem. This isn't Paul saying, I don't command you to give to the Lord. That, that's different. But he's saying in this particular case... I don't command you to give to Jerusalem, but I'm going to ask you to look at the church in Macedonia and just say, can you top Macedonia? Because there's a huge need in Jerusalem of the poor and they're being overlooked and this poverty is needed. And just as Christ came and became poor, just think about that for a second. Jesus who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, Jesus who has all the riches in the world, Jesus who doesn't operate by our financial system came to this earth and came under our, our, our system of finances and became homeless and destitute living not by paycheck to paycheck, but literally living by the hand of those around him to feed him on a regular basis. So he says, I don't command you, but I would love to see this earnestness that comes out of the result of following Jesus's example to give so that there may be a reward for you. Verse 10, and in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well so that your readiness is in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. I love this. For if in the readiness, for if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you're burdened and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need and there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much has nothing left and whoever gathered little has no lack. Paul is talking about this idea of equality and fairness. 
this is a term that Rome began issuing these coins, actually at the time of Paul. These coins that they had in the Roman uh, day, they bared the image of the goddess Aquintus. And Aquintus in Greek means equality. And she is usually depicted holding a pair of scales symbolizing fairness and equality and also a cornucopia uh, inscription, uh, symbolizing the abundance that comes when one does what is fair and when what do, one does what is equitable. The inscription on these coins typically reads Aquintus Augusti or Augustan equality, which is very ironic living in Rome that the emperor would say Augustus is fair. Is he, though? It is quite possible that at least some coins of this type were found their way into the collection of the poor in Jerusalem, and so which Paul uses as an example. And he says, hey, just like this coin symbolizes equality, I'm asking you to give just out of what you have. I'm asking you to look at your resources as a church, look at what you have to give, and give the same amount fairly as what the church in Macedonia would have given. I'm not asking you to go crazy here. I'm just asking you to give out of what you can because there should be a fairness here. I don't want Macedonia to look at the church in Corinth and be like, what gives? This church is wealthy. This church has all the money in the world and we gave nothing and everything out of our nothingness and Corinth is doing what now? Because Paul says, I want you to be an example to the churches around you. I want you to give out of your gracious generosity. It should be out of grace that we give, an act of grace that we are giving to the poor. Now, as we finish up, I want to give one more story, and then I want to ask one question, okay? So one more story, one question as we close in this idea of Paul and this idea of giving out of a graciousness of our own hearts and not out of compulsion. There's a beautiful story in Mark chapter 12, verses 41 to 44. Jesus and his disciples have arrived in town. They end up going to one of the synagogues in town. And as they go to one of the synagogues in town, wouldn't you know it, Jesus, in the awkward style that Jesus does, sits right next to the offering box. How awkward would that be? I just sit back every Sunday and I just sit there. And I just watch you leave. And I watch you leave and I'm like, see you next week, maybe. If we're around, I don't know. Right? That's awkward. It's weird. It's not good protocol. I've never been to a church that pastors sits by the offering box as, as they're leaving. But Jesus sits and he's just by the box. Verse 41. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched people putting money in the offering box. Now that's, that's even weirder, right? The disciples got to be like, Jesus, are we really doing this right now? Okay. Many rich people put in large sums and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which made a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put more in than all of those who are contributing to the offering box. He's calling out rich people as they're leaving. That's awesome. (laughs) He says, this lady's put in more than they have ever put in. And here's the piece that I, you may have known the story, but here's the piece that stood out that I just never caught before until I was studying it this week. But this just really stood out this week in verse 44. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she gave out of her poverty. Okay, I knew that part. She gave out of her poverty, has put in everything she had. And here's the phrase that I just caught this week. She has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. And I thought, okay, I knew that. I saw that in the text. But isn't it interesting, how much did she give? She gave a penny. And Jesus says that's all she had to live on. 
I mean, we think poor widow, we think, well, she probably had some reserves back home, right? I mean, she probably gave out of something. He says, no, her love and adoration for Jesus, she came to the temple and she gave her last paycheck. She didn't know how she was going to make it, but she put in all she had to live on and all she had to live on was a penny. That's insane. That's not wise stewarding, Joel. You're right. (laughs) But this poor lady had nothing and yes, she gave it. Because here's the reality. Generosity is a sliding scale. A grace given to you and trusted to you by God. And God says that the amount of generosity he gives to us in our finances, we are to give proportionally out of the grace that we have been given. Well, I don't have as much as so-and-so, so I can't, well, just stop the game. It's not about how much so-and-so has and how much you have. It's not about how much they're giving versus you're giving. It's about what God has given you graciously. Because here's the beautiful thing. I love this quote out of the the commentator I was reading, and this is the wrap-up point. Generosity is a byproduct of sincere love and is defined by willingness and capacity, not the amount given. If this is nothing else you get out of today, I want you to grab that. Generosity is a byproduct of sincere love for Jesus, for each other, and defined by willingness and capacity, not the amount given. We're not worried about the amount. We're worried about your heart and the willingness and the capacity to give. So Community Bible Church, let me just end here. You have been generous. You continue to be generous in the midst of a pandemic. And we have because of your graciousness, been able to do a lot of things. One of which was to help those in Mexico in ways that we didn't think possible. You sent $1,000 down to Mexico between our entire body, $1,000 down to help the relief funds of those down in Mexico to get food and water and sustenance so that they could live, not just paycheck to paycheck, but to have generosity in our giving. You have been given every single week and we are at the ability to kind of keep and maintain our budget. You're going to hear more about that in January about where we are financially, but you've been giving in that generosity. So let me just encourage you and say, keep going. Keep giving. Give above and beyond what you can in the graciousness of what God puts on your heart to give. Because ultimately, it's not just giving, it's having a plan for your money. Here's what we're going to look at next week and and talk a little bit more about, but if you don't have a plan for your money, your your money will have a plan for you. (laughs) You ever feel like that? Like your money controls you? Like, how did that work? I thought I was in control of my bank account, and all of a sudden your bank account's like, no, I got this. <laughs> We're going to talk about that next week and kind of some things that, that are helpful along the way. But, and then lastly, give out of your trust and adoration for Jesus and not because your pastor's asking you to give. This is an adoration of what God is asking you to give. This is the offering above and beyond the tithing. This is the, the trust and adoration for what Jesus has done, and through that I will give. Next week, we're going to get very specific about what that looks like. We're going to talk about how you can give and who you can give towards and not just giving to the church, but in general, we're going to look at that next week. But for this morning, I just want to ask one question as we close because um, I think it's a question we all need to kind of wrestle with as we look at the Christmas holidays and what's coming. Yeah, let me give the question, but let me give one caveat to that. There was a phrase that was told to us when we had toddlers. And I think this applies here. This wasn't planned, but let me just see if this hits somebody, hopefully encourage you. Um, we were told this when our kids had toddlers, that you as parents set the level of contentment for your kids. We were told that very early on. And so 
uh, we took that to heart and we didn't get a lot of excess for our kids. We didn't go crazy. We didn't do a lot of things that we could have done at certain ages because we realized we set the level of contentment for our kids. And so I think the same is true for your own life and for your spouse and your families. You set the level of contentment that you're used to. And we have hit seasons uh, where our contentment level was really low and so we kept spending till our contentment level rose. Ever been there before? <laughs> we're not happy, so we'll just keep spending until we're happy, right? And then you look at your bank account and you're like, I'm not happy anymore <laughs> because my contentment level's here-ish, but our bank account's here and so that makes my contentment level go really low when my bank account's really low, right? But you set the level of contentment and, and sometimes it's just an important thing to think about because as you set that level of contentment, here's the question, that I want you to wrestle through over the holidays. How generous do you wish you could be? Like if you just, you, you had no limits. Your bank account wouldn't run out, right? And you're like, wow, that sounds great. How do we do that? I'm not saying that's, I'm just saying just in general, what do you wish you could do? Like how generous do you wish you could be? And I don't want you to have to think about like all the places that we go. I just want you to think about that one question this week. And then based on how gracious God has given it to you, we're going to look at that next week. But this, this is specifically just a general question. How generous do you wish you could be? Knowing how much God has put into our lives, we want to be super generous with our, our finances. And we want to be able to give and give and give so that we can show others, show Christ how much we appreciate him by what he has given to us. So next week, as I said, we're going to look at uh, we all mean well when it, become, when it comes to being generous. We want to be generous. We all want to be able to do it. But technically, there's some things that got to get in our way. We're going to look at those next week. But for this week, all I want to ask is, based on what God has given you, how God has graciously supplied your needs, how generous do you wish you could be? Because I think unless we start there, then we just kind of assume it's just about the day-to-day and routines, and I don't, I don't want that. I just want to think, like, if you could just give, how generous do you want to be? Make sense? And then next week, we're going to come back. We're going to talk about some specifics with that. But that's kind of where we're heading over the next two weeks, heading into Christmas. Let me pray for us as we close. And um, we'll let you guys out. Thank you guys so much for... Um, God, thank you so much for your, your, your generosity to us. Um, you have given above and beyond. And we say that, but um, ultimately, you've not just given us financially so that we have the needs met, uh, even if we are living very, very paycheck to paycheck right now. Maybe a season for some of us in this room that finances are just super tight right now, and we're barely making it. So God, I pray that you would just come alongside of them and you would encourage them, that you wouldn't allow the enemy to just kind of dive his thumb deeper into their hearts and tell them how much they're lacking and how terrible they are. But Father, you would encourage them and say, I've been generous before, I will be generous again. Father, for those of us who have some margin in our life and we're wondering where to be generous, I pray that you would be clear in how that works. For those of us, Father, who maybe hear this this morning and it's an eye-opener of like, man, I don't even know where my bank account is, I, I pray, God, that um, you would uh, use this as a way to just re-engage us, to reset our hearts to saying we want to be generous because you have been generous to us. So, Father, as we close, um, we pray that you would be the one to receive all the honor and glory from whatever we bring because you ultimately are the one who came down, became poor for us so that we may be rich. And so we thank you for that. And we ask that you would help us to be even more generous than maybe we've been in the past. In your name we pray, amen.